What's up, beautiful people? It's good to see y'all. Hello. I like the response. It's so good to see y'all. Thank you so much for being here tonight. How does summer feel? I know you're not out of school yet, but how does it just feel to have, like, nice air outside in the sun and you can get tan? It's hot. Okay, yeah, but in my opinion, it's a little bit better than the winter. Um, Guys, I got to be honest, I'm super sad tonight. I hate that this is our last night of programming for this semester. Um, I hopped on the team here with, uh, with Stow and with Anna and the rest of the youth staff here in January, and I feel like time has gone by way too fast. Um, but I love each and every single one of you. I love being able to serve you guys every week, and we're a part of something special. Like during worship, um, I don't know, I just felt really encouraged. I think there's something special and something important when a group of young people get together and lift up the name of Jesus. Not excluding any other group of folks, but I just believe that there's something super powerful um, when a group of young people get on fire for Christ. And I see that in this group, and I could not be more proud. Um, I've never seen a group of students um, chase after the Lord so hard and, I don't know, just be all around awesome. And so, um, if I haven't gotten to meet you yet, my name is James Ricker, and I'm the uh, high school coordinator here alongside Anna Wills and Stow and the rest of the team, and we just, we love you guys, so I need to take a moment and say that. I hope you guys have had a great week. I had a pretty cool week last week, low-key. I got married. I have a ring on now, so I'm super excited. Friday, April 26th was the best day of my life, and for some of you, it was the best day of your lives, too, because Endgame came out. I don't know if y'all, yeah, so we didn't get to see that. I haven't seen it, so you can't spoil it. I don't care what anybody says, no spoilers. I got the mic. We're not talking spoilers tonight. Um, But yeah, I can't wait for us to go see it. It was awesome. And so now my wife, Haley, she has my last name. We live together. We're roommates. It's super weird, but it's really awesome, and marriage is really cool. Um, So yeah, we are in the final... You guys are making me laugh. We're in the final segment of our series, Suit Up, okay? And tonight, do we know what we're talking about tonight? The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And I'm very excited to read it. I'm not going to talk like this the rest of the time. But we're going to hop right in to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Ephesians 6, chapter 17. All right, and this is wrapping up our series again. I'm so sad. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. Thank you. And take the helmet of salvation, and here's what we're talking about tonight, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And I'll continue, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And so we are supposed to, according to the word, is to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of Spirit, which is the word of God. The Bible says that the word of God, like Andrew said earlier, is sharper than any double-edged sword. It's our weapon that God gives us. It's, I call it the NBA weapon of spiritual weapons because it's all offense. Um, and the NBA, unfortunately, there's not much defense to it. And so this is our NBA weapon. This is our sword of the spirit. And what are we using it for? What are we using the sword of the spirit for? I'm glad you ask. I'll tell you what we're not using it for. We are not using the sword of the spirit, the word of God, the Bible, um, to fight each other. That was never the purpose The sword of the spirit was never to fight man against man, girl against girl, me versus you. Uh, But the basis of this, the foundation of this scripture that we're reading tonight was that um, this battle is not of this world. Um, It says right here, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but of the rulers of the spiritual realms. And so we're fighting actually, like we've learned this 
this whole series is that we're fighting a spiritual enemy. And we've talked each week about how this enemy wants to come up and tear up and divide and devour your beliefs of our Father God. See, the enemy wants to twist your feelings and beliefs about God. And here tonight, we will look at a time when the devil himself tempted Jesus, when the devil tempted God himself. But how he handles this situation shows us so practically what it's like to fight back with this sword of the Spirit. Before that, though, I want to take us to an important event that took place right before Jesus shows us how to use this sword of the Spirit. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Matthew 3, 16. That's cool, like 3, 16s. There's a famous one in there. John 3, 16, I think. Matthew 3, 16. Um, we are going to pull there in mind, too. How about that? 316. Jesus is getting baptized, all right? This is crazy. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove coming to rest on him. Verse 17. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. I'll read that again. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove coming to rest on him. Behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased. So something I want us to take away from this, this is amazing, is that God gives Jesus his identity before Jesus goes into his public ministry, before Jesus did any miracles, before Jesus did anything to prove that he was the son of God. God already gave him his identity. And I want to take a second to just point this out. Identity is something that um, Christians, we struggle with a lot. It's something that is brought up a lot, and we try to teach on it so much because identity is such an important thing that the enemy wants to take away from us. So I want to share with us tonight that identity is less of a feeling, and it's more of a foundation. Our identity is given to us by God. My first point tonight is that God's word gives us our identity. God's word gives us our identity. We need to look no further than what God says in his word. And like I said earlier, I'm Haley's husband now. Sorry, everybody. I'm just kidding. But I'm Haley's husband now, and that's it. We're family, whether we feel like it or not. And thank God that it's that way. Or else one day we could feel super in love and be loud and proud about our relationship and all over Instagram and all lovey-dovey. But then that would mean that the opposite would be true as well. If our marriage were based on feelings, then there could be potentially be a day where we don't really feel like husband and wife. Maybe we don't feel good enough or maybe we're frustrated with each other or whatever it is. The point I'm making here, and I think we all collectively understand is that a feelings-based anything is pretty unwise. Would you agree? We need to live, with my second point, is we need to live with foundation over feelings. We need to live with our foundation in Christ over our feelings. Because unfortunately, I think so often, we, we without thinking about it, do the same with our relationship with God. I know I personally have allowed my feelings to dictate how I thought God thought about me. And I see so many people go, in the Christian world, go super high and like super on fire for God and then super low, like where is he? I don't know where he is. And the sad part 
is that when we do that, we don't get to experience the full abundant life that God is offering us because we refuse to go face-to-face with what God actually says about us. When we refuse to go face-to-face and soberly look at exactly what God says about us, we end up having a one-way conversation with ourselves about what we think God says about us, and it's usually skewed. This is what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden with the serpent, which is a story you guys all know. That's, the, that's what the enemy tried to do with them, was to say, no, 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 God's like this. And this is what the enemy tries to do to Jesus in this passage we're about to read. And so let me say this real fast. Feelings, I said feelings, uh, foundation over feelings. Feelings are not bad. I highly encourage them, and so does God. They just shouldn't be our foundation. When God's grace and love and truth and his gospel is our foundation, then the feelings and the passion that you get can be amazing ways to share that gospel. See, feelings and passion is what keeps us from being religious robots, just doing things over in the motion. Feelings and passion is how we can have creative music and teaching and movements because of people's zeal for Jesus' good news. And so why do I talk about identity before we hop into anything? It's because we need to know how to use our weapon before we use it. We need to get to know our weapon. You and me, we need to get to know our sword. And whenever I say sword tonight, I mean the Bible, the word of God. So we need to get to know our sword. A kid doesn't just pick up a sword and instantly become a warrior. The karate kid doesn't just put on his headband and suddenly karate chop everybody into the dust. That would be cool. But no, we know he meets Mr. Miyagi, and then Mr. Miyagi teaches him these amazing lessons that are famous about wax on, wax off, paint the fence, and all those things. And then the karate kid becomes the karate kid. I had a Mr. Miyagi moment myself this past week. We went on a honeymoon trip to Mexico, and it was awesome. Unlimited food, uh, unlimited sleep, never knew what time it was. It was just a really, really good time. And uh, during that week, I wanted to stay devoted to fitness, which some people think is crazy, but I enjoyed working out like every day while, I was on, while we were on the honeymoon. And one of the days I was uh, in the gym, I saw this dude, um, he had boxing gloves on, and I've always been intrigued with boxing. I feel like if you're a boxer, you're just, you're a thousand percent cooler than everybody else. And so I started talking to him, I was like, hey dude, like, you think maybe we could do a little boxing or something? Like, I don't know. I felt like I had a good chance against him. And let me tell you, I thought I knew what I was doing, but my instructor, he called himself Mexican Thor. I don't know why he called himself Mexican Thor, but that's what he said. Uh, He quickly showed me that I did not have a clue about fighting. I came in there expecting to put on some gloves, and if we were going to fight, I figured I had the advantage over him. I'm not always taller and bigger than most people. Normally, I'm shorter than most people I'm in. But in this particular stance, Mexican Thor didn't actually look like Thor. He looked like Walmart Thor. He was much smaller than me and much skinnier than me. And so I thought, I'll put these boxing gloves on, and if we end up, you know, doing a little fight or anything like that, like, I can surely just kind of outget him. He was pretty small and pretty skinny, but from my stance to how I held my hands up, he showed me how incorrect I was. When we sparred, when we just kind of, like, we're fighting. We weren't. Act, we were throwing punches, but we weren't landing them. It was just really soft. Um, he kept letting me make a move, and then he would block it and put his glove against my chin and be like, "Knock out!" Every time. And so he'd be like, "All right, come here, come here." And he would get my stance, and I'd be like, "All right, all right." 
I'm like, I'm so much bigger than you. I could surely beat you up. And he'd be like, all right, give me something, give me something. And I'd be like, boom, and he'd be like, knockout <laughs> each time. And Mexican Thor was just kicking my booty. And so he showed me how incorrect I was, and it's okay. He taught me how each punch had a purpose. This is getting deep, y'all. But each punch had a purpose. And that the fight is way more about knowing your opponent than it is using all of your power against somebody. He didn't even, this is the sad part. It was like a 45-minute lesson. I didn't even get to punch the bag until the last five minutes. He spent 40 minutes of me literally just punching into the air, and I was dying. I learned so much from that lesson. And I think that we should approach God's word the same way. Not being a know-it-all, but being a student of his word. Letting God tell us how to live rather than going off our own instincts and like, okay, well, this is how I think it should be done. Because I think if we read the book, we get to know what God's saying, I think we have a lot that we could learn. And we're about to read how Jesus has a battle of his own. And he goes karate kid on the devil with the sword of the spirit. And you can already know that Jesus wins because that's what he does. But we should take advice, we should take lessons away from what Jesus does. And so, if you will, please turn with me to Matthew 4, and we're going to read verses 1 and 2. It's right after what we just read. Matthew 4, verses 1 and 2. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That's crazy. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I love how the Bible, if you get to read it, a lot of times it's kind of funny. Jesus was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, and he was a little bit hungry. Like, I get hungry after 40 minutes of just life, and I'm ready for the next meal. We keep going forwards. So, he's hungry. He's with the devil in the wilderness. Verse 3, and the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then, verse 5, then the devil took him up to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, he will command your, his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, for the third time, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Drop the mic. Jesus defeats the devil karate kid style in about three sentences. And so there's some things I want us to take away from each of the things that the devil tries to say to Jesus, because I believe that this shows us very clearly how Jesus used God's word to defeat the lies of the enemy, defeat the lies that come at us every day. The first thing that the devil says is crazy to me. He says, if you're the son of God, make these stones become bread. If you're the son of God, did we not just realize the verse right before the devil takes him up there? God says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. God just told him his identity. And what's ironic is that the devil comes, and as soon as you find out your identity, the enemy wants to come in and shake it all up and be like, no, 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 I don't think that was real. If you are, why don't you prove it? 
He did this in the garden with Adam and Eve too. The enemy will always come to you and try to twist what God has told you. He'll make you think, did God really say that? Am I really chosen? Am I really actually special? Am I really loved? Am I really set apart and made to do amazing things? But Jesus' response is where the power is. In the already spoken words of God, in the foundation, he says, it is written. And then Jesus responds with what God has already said. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So I want to encourage us tonight, don't give in to temporary when you can have eternal. Don't give in to temporary when you can have eternal. The devil tempted Jesus to just quickly go ahead, just show off your power, make that stone become bread, and feed yourself. And Jesus goes, no, homie, this is way bigger than just a physical thing. We were not meant to just live physically. Trevor spoke on this a couple weeks ago, but we actually have a spiritual life. Because of our identity in Christ, because of the foundation of God's word, we don't have to settle for the scraps of life that the enemy offers. We don't have to settle for momentary pleasure with a guy or a girl. We don't have to settle for laziness with our school and with work. We don't have to settle for fear of man, being worried about what you think about me, what this person thinks about me. And we definitely don't have to worry about fear of the future. Jesus' eternal work on the cross to save us means that we can make eternal decisions today to obey his word. I'll say that again. Jesus' eternal work on the cross to save us allows us to make eternal decisions to, de- to decide to follow him today. We don't have to wait until we die to start following Jesus, but we can make eternal decisions to obey his word. The second thing that the enemy comes at Jesus with is this. He says, right here, he says, devil took him to the holy city and put him on the pinnacle of the temple, all right, and said to him, if you're the son of God, again, he's so annoying. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, And on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And so the devil thinks he's tricky. He uses some of the Bible. The the devil's actually pretty knowledgeable in God's word. But he twists it. That's what he always does. And so Jesus is annoyed. He says, again, it is written, you shall not put your Lord God to the test. And the scripture that he's referring to, you should not put your Lord God to the test, is referring to God's people Israel back in the time of Moses. You remember Spicy Bricey talked on Moses and Israel a couple weeks ago? There was a time when Israel got so frustrated with God that they came to the conclusion that God had abandoned them. So Jesus is recalling this situation saying, no, I'm not going to put the Lord God to the test, meaning I know that God is with me. See, he knew that the Father was with him. He had a foundation. So there was nothing he needed to prove to know that God hadn't left him. Jesus responded with some irritation, saying again, dude, this is not what God intended for for me. The devil was basically offering Jesus, hey, if you go up to the temple right here and jump off, everybody will know that you're the son of God because God will save you and he won't let you hit the ground. His angels will come and they will like catch you right before you hit the ground. And then everybody will know, right? That would be amazing. That would be a spectacular thing. But Jesus goes, that's not what I came here to do. I didn't come here to boast and just like flex on all you guys that I'm the son of God. 
But the Bible says that he actually came to, to seek and serve the lost. So Jesus came to offer us a relationship with him instead of just shoving it down our throats. What an amazing God we have that he actually cares and he wants us to love him. The other thing is when you're a daughter and son of the king, you have zero need to prove yourself. I find this very important in my life because I always feel like I need to prove myself. I need to prove, okay, I'm here. I need to make sure that like, everybody knows that they made the right choice and all that kind of stuff. But when God's word is our foundation, we can rest knowing that he has the final say. Before Jesus did all the miracles and did all the crowds, before he was crucified, before he was risen from the dead, before all of that, God declared that he was his son and that he was pleased with him. And so this shows us how important it is that we need to know what God says so that we can fight back, just as Jesus does here. The third thing, finally, the devil throws all bets off the table and just shoots Jesus straight. He's not going to twist any words anymore. He just says this. He goes, he takes Jesus to the highest point, and he can see all the nations and all the kingdoms. I don't know how that works, but he could see everything, everything the world had to offer. And the devil says, all these I will give to you if you just fall down and worship me. I'll give you everything that you can see. Have you ever been to Urban Outfitters? A couple people. Do you all know what Urban Outfitters is? It's like... It's like an abandoned warehouse, and then they, like, put clothes in it, and they sell it for, like, $100. And I'm not talking junk because I actually love Urban, but I'm just going to share, like, an experience that probably some of you feel the same way, too. Have you ever been, like, walking by Urban Outfitters, and you see big signs that says, like, sale, 50% off, come in, like, all that kind of stuff, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I might be able to get a T-shirt for under $100. This is so cool. This is my time. And so... Like gullible me, I walk up and I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to get like some awesome pair of outfits from Urban Outfitters because they're having 50% off sale. And unfortunately, I walk to the back, and some of you know what this is like. You walk to the back to the sale section, and there's like three things on sale. It's like a random like dusty pair of socks, like a pair of pants for a two-year-old, and like 50 t-shirts with all the cuss words on them. This is like so random. It's like stuff you would never actually want to buy. And so I, get, I always get depressed when I see those sale signs at Urban because I'm like, this isn't actually worth anything. And I think this is kind of what the devil does with us is that he makes a big show and he's like, look, you can get all this and he gets your hopes up. That's what he does to the world. He's like, you could have this and you can have that. But what he promises, it's empty. And, you get, and sometimes we fall into that trap and we get to the back of Urban Outfitters and we're like, all there is is a bunch of dusty socks and this is just so lame, like I'm leaving. What's crazy is that so many people have actually, what the devil said to Jesus here, so many people have like given into those lies and that's majority of what this world, the world we live in is built off of. Is the enemy going, I can give you everything, just, just give up. Just stop trying to follow this God. Stop trying to live right. Stop trying to be true and have hope. Just give up and just follow me. Just let, let life happen. And so many worlds and so many Different experiences have been created because people gave into that. But Jesus avoids all of that with one sentence. Jesus avoids all of it with the word of God. He says this. He knows the truth. He says, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you should worship the Lord your God only, and only him should you serve. Jesus knew that it would mean nothing to gain the whole world, 
but to lose his soul. He goes on to say that. What would it profit a man to gain the whole world, but to lose his soul? There was this interesting interview I saw with one of my favorite humans in the world. I love this dude. His name's Tom Brady. We should be friends one day, but we might not. I don't know. And I say this just because it's, it's very interesting. Tom Brady is being interviewed. I think it was by CBS. I can't remember. But they're talking to him, and they're saying, wow, Tom, you have, at that time, I think he had like three Super Bowl rings. And he's like, I have like three Super Bowl rings. I have a model wife. I have two beautiful kids, more money than anyone could ever imagine. We could say that he's hit the jackpot in life, right? He's like over six foot tall. He's just everything anybody could want to be in, the, in life. And you know what he said in this interview? I don't have it here, but take my word for it. He looks dead in the camera. It's almost spooky. And he goes, I have everything anybody could ever want. But for some reason, I feel like there's just something else out there. I feel like I'm missing something. And it's spooky because if you're a Christian, you realize, oh, my goodness. He's talking about, like, God. And Jesus, I want to tell you, Jesus is the only thing that can fill that gap in our soul. There is nothing else. I want to already just throw that on the table for you. This summer as you go out and you, and you if you want to, like, try new things or whatever it is, just know that nothing can fill that gap like Jesus can. He's the only person who can complete us. When we have Jesus, we have everything and more. Jesus is the only one who can fill our missing piece. So how do we have the best summer ever? How do we have the euphoric high school musical summer, 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 right? How do we have the best summer ever? I can tell you this. It's not by our own strength. It's not by our own doing, but by God's Holy Spirit through this word of God. I want to encourage us tonight Don't go into battle empty-handed. Don't go into battle empty-handed. If we are truly in this spiritual war, why would we wake up and go out into a battle without our weapons? The same is true about your Bible. Why would we go into this world wanting to do what's right, wanting to follow Jesus and come out empty-handed without God's word? Don't go in this summer empty-handed. We have so much time on our hands in the summer. And I want to encourage you to use this amazing time to make a difference in your life. The things you do now, you've already heard this a million times, the things you do now set up the person you're going to be years later. And I can attest to that. I was in high school like a few years ago. It's not like, not much has changed. The things, the foundations that I did then have made me who I am now. And that doesn't have to be a bad thing. Everybody uses that in a bad context. It can be an amazing thing. You can set yourself up for so much joy, so much peace, so much friendship. If you decide to let God's word be your foundation, if you decide to use that as a weapon, let this summer be marked by learning the Bible. It doesn't have to be this crazy thing where you like, Get out a fountain pen and turn on a candle and like, I don't know. The Bible can be a normal thing. That's how it was intended to be. It's God's love letter to us. He's going, I've given you a weapon to literally karate chop the devil in the face. But would you just pick it up? Would we just read it? Would we learn it? 
not to become a good Christian, like I said earlier, not to fight each other with it, not to be like, well, I think Jesus is that, and I think God's like that. And that, that just is annoying. But it's to fight the enemy who wants to twist our view of God, who wants to, to get us distracted, get our eyes off of serving people, get our eyes off of how good Jesus is. The other thing I want to say is don't go into the summer not empty-handed, but also not, don't go into the summer by yourself. Don't seclude yourself this summer. Surround yourself with people that will help you walk with God, with some battle partners. My favorite summer ever, my favorite summer ever, I think it was my junior year, about to go into senior year. And me and my friends would get together at Starbucks right there by Walmart. And we would actually, I know this is crazy, but we would actually read the Bible with each other and like talk about it. And then we would just hang out. We'd go to Chick-fil-A. We'd do our thing. But what was amazing is that we just made it a normal thing. We didn't make it some weird, like, who, like, creepy thing. We were just talking about God. And that summer got us so on fire, and it set us up. The next semester, when we went back to school, we were all so on fire for God that a lot of our friends, a lot of the people I played football with, a lot of the people we were around got to know Jesus and got to start following him because of our friend group's obedience to follow Jesus. And I only say that to show you that it can be done. It's, it doesn't have to be some crazy thing. But you can use this summer to set yourself up to have an amazing fall. The same way with anything in life. Set yourself up now. Finally, this summer, as a youth, we're going to have Sunday school on Sunday mornings. And also, I heard, I was on my honeymoon, so I was a little out of the loop, but I heard that Spicy Brightsy is going to start doing a podcast weekly with devotions, which you guys can listen to and learn from. I think that's going to be really, really cool. With God as your foundation, the word as your weapon, we cannot lose. God has won it for us. If only we would just pick it up, get to know him a little bit better, spend some more time with him. Jesus, thank you so much for this amazing group of students whom you love so much, whom you have amazing plans for. God, I thank you for what this season has meant to them and to me and to this whole community. God, we thank you for all the victories that you came through in. God, remind us in this moment what you brought us through. Let us praise you for all the amazing things that you brought us through this, this season. This past school year where we thought things were going to just be done. We thought everything was over. But you brought us here today. We thank you for that, Jesus. We thank you for the end of this season, but we also thank you that this is just the beginning of what you're doing in Lexington what you're doing in these students' hearts. God, thank you so much for the seniors in here who are moving on to a next chapter. God, every time you do change, you do something amazing, you, you remind us that you're making things new. And so I pray that every senior in here that's moving forward would be on fire for you, would be encouraged to know that if they trust you, if they walk on your word as their foundation, that they cannot go wrong. And Jesus, I pray for this family as a whole that you would continue to grow us, that you would continue to grow us closer together with each other so that we can make a difference in this community. We know that we're a part of something so much bigger than what we see right now. God, thank you for the kingdom work that is being done. I thank you for each and every individual in here. 
Jesus, we love you so much. And would you put us on fire with passion for your love? That this summer would be marked by getting to know you better, by loving and serving your people. Jesus, we love you so much. In your name we pray and we continue to worship. Amen.